Hello and welcome to the Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, and I'm a functional medicine pharmacist in New York, as well as an integrative health coach and clinical herbalist. I'm pleased to go into season three of this podcast and continue to bring on other holistic-minded pharmacists and healthcare professionals to the show. I'm constantly inspired by my guests and their stories and love sharing their points of view with you all. Please enjoy the show. I'm honored to introduce to you a very special guest to kick off season three of the Raw Pork podcast. This season, I'm branching out and will be interviewing other healthcare practitioners and healers in addition to pharmacists. Today, I had the pleasure of chatting to medical doctor, cannabis expert, and founder of Doc Patel's, Dr. Rachna Patel. She has been in the field of medical cannabinoids since 2012 after spending years training as an emergency medicine doctor. She completed her undergrad studies at Northwestern University and earned her medical degree from Turo University. In 2014, she opened her own practice so that she could offer people care they otherwise wouldn't have access to. In 2019, she wrote The CBD Oil Solution, published by Penguin Random House, and in 2020, Dr. Patel became the CEO of her own CBD company, Doc Patel's. Her knowledge of CBD oil has made her an asset in the specialty. She has been interviewed in over 20, sorry, 200 podcasts, has taken the stage internationally to spread awareness, has been featured in articles for Lifehacker and MindBodyGreen, and has appeared on major news networks such as NBC. Her insights into the field have helped many, many people. Hi, everyone. I have a very special guest today. We have Dr. Rachna Patel. She's a physician and she specializes in cannabis, among other things. So I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Um, Just please tell us something about your background, maybe where you grew up and went to school and how you became a doctor. Sure. So um, I grew up in Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl at heart. Um, and then I headed out to the Midwest for undergrad at Northwestern. And then I went even further west to California for, for medical school. Um, and I started off in emergency medicine, um, but I made my way into cannabinoid medicine back in 2012. So my background is in emergency medicine, but I never actually practiced. Um, I, I, I was going through training and was frustrated, to, to put it lightly. Um, you know, as, I think as every um, med school grad, you, you know, you're, you're, you graduate bright-eyed wanting to, to uh, impact people's lives. And uh, what I found was, was that, you know, as an ER doctor, what do you mainly do? You, you essentially treat pain. Um, you know, people come in with, with, with headaches, they come in with back pain, they come in with abdominal pain. And as, you know, we rule out the emergent cause and um, we send them home on their way, if, if, if there's no emergency, with um, instructions to follow up with their primary care doctor and with a script for typically pain medications, opioids. Um, and oftentimes, you know, given the nature of our healthcare system, a lot of these patients would come back into the emergency room saying that, you know, the, the, op- the opioids didn't work, they're experiencing side effects from the opioids, 
or in the worst case of scenarios, um, I would be in the unfortunate position of having to resuscitate patients who either intentionally or unintentionally overdosed on, on these medications. And so I felt like, you know, I was standing at a revolving door, handing out these prescriptions on the one hand, and then dealing with the problems from these medications on the other hand. And it was like, okay, I'm not really making the impact that I had thought I would be making. So one sleepless night in residency, I mean, every night is sleepless in residency, <laughs> but one sleepless night, um, I was just surfing Craigslist because I was doing some virtual dumpster diving. Honestly, I needed to furnish my apartment. And um, I happened to click on the section that said health and medical. And that's where I happened on an ad that said uh, medical marijuana doctor needed. And I had no idea before that, that this whole specialty had even existed. So I started exploring. Um, I hung out on, on PubMed and I, I, dug into the research, read research study upon research study. I also looked at the business side of it as well. You know, how, how are these doctors practicing and where are they practicing? What is the nature of their practice like? And about a, a year later, um, I was very compelled by, by the data that I had found. It was preliminary, but I was still compelled by it, um, especially when it came to chronic pain. Um, you know, we have great options in Western medicine for acute pain, but we don't have very many um, good options when it comes to chronic pain. Um, and I think that's where herbal medications really sort of are, uh, take the cake. Um, and so that's where, where I was convinced. I had read this research study by Dr., led by Dr. Donald Abrams. He's an oncologist based out of UCSF. And it was a pilot study where they had <clears throat> um, HIV AIDS patients who uh, were, um, uh, struggling with um, neuropathy. <clears throat> and um, they were already on a regimen of opioids and they had added um, marijuana to their regimen and they had them inhale it, not smoke it, but vaporize it rather. And overall what they found was that in these patients, they were able to uh, reduce the doses of opioids that they were on and when the cannabinoids were combined with the opioids, the patients experienced greater pain relief. Um, and so it's one thing to have the, the book knowledge. Um, as a clinician, it's really important to have the, the patient knowledge as well, right? So that's when I signed up to work at um, a medical marijuana clinic out in California, and this was in 2012. Wow. So yeah, and there's been no turning back since then. Wow, what an amazing story. So <clears throat> right after residency, you chose to pursue this new emerging field that dealt with novel pain relief um, with herbal medicine and in particular with cannabinoids, like the cannabinoids system. Cannabinoid. Oh Endocannabinoid God. system. Endocannabinoid <laughs> system. I'm sorry. I'm like. Ugh. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, the novel, not the novel, but the, the piece of medicine that we have to trigger that is cannabis which is a plant you know you yeah. there are synthetic versions available mm -hmm. so what do you you know what do you prefer to use and what did you learn on your journey um as seeking like this pain relief and maybe combining different therapies like what is your approach evolved into 
Yeah, so yes, there are synthetics available in the form of analogs and isomers of um, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC. Um, but here, here, here's what I found clinically. So I had um, patients come in, uh, patients diagnosed with cancer, who were prescribed um, uh, dronabinol, uh, otherwise known as marinol. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that they were experiencing um, a lot of side effects from the medication as opposed to symptom relief. However, when they used um, uh, some, some form of, of the cannabinoids extracted from the plant itself, um, in that case, they experience the medical benefits without any side effects. And what may be going on is that, um, you know, with a synthetic, you, you just have that one molecule. Um, but with the plant form, an extract from the plant form, not only do you have the, the THC, but you also have other cannabinoids, right, um, uh, th- that the plant makes, right? So we're talking about cannabidiol, cannabigerol. Uh, you have acidic forms of the cannabinoids, and then you have uh, neutral forms of the cannabinoids as well. So there may be some sort of synergistic effect going on. And what we know based on research is that um, when CBD is present with THC, CBD helps to dampen some of the side effects that are caused by THC. So so that's what I found um, uh, from a clinical standpoint, uh, you know, when uh, synthetics versus um, uh, plant-derived medicine. So from your first job, uh, what, you know, what was your role there? What was your experience there? And then how did you move on from there? Yeah. So basically, uh, I worked at one of those really shady medical marijuana clinics. Um, <laughs> so um, essentially, my role was, was to evaluate patients um, and uh, at my discretion, issue medical marijuana cards, right? Now, it was interesting. Um, I specifically chose California for a reason because I looked at the rules and regulations in other states that had legalized marijuana at that point in time, which weren't many. Mm-hmm. But California had, um, like it always does, had, had loopholes in its laws. So one was, was that um, they didn't have a restricted list of medical conditions. They did have a list of medical conditions, and then somebody managed to sneak in the phrase and any other medical illness on that list. Um, so it was up to the discretion of the physician to determine whether or not the patient would benefit from the use of medical marijuana, which was great. That gave me as a physician a lot of liberty to, to uh, you know, to, to figure out, okay, you know, based on the research, you know, will this benefit the patient or not? It wasn't restricted in terms of condition. So that was great. Second thing was, was that patients didn't have to um, register with the state. So in most other states, the way it works is that you get a recommendation or, or what's otherwise known as a certification or a card from a physician once you're evaluated. And then uh, you have to submit that paperwork to the state and then the state issues the final um, uh, actual uh, certification card uh, recommendation, whatever it is. In California, um, it was a physician who issued this, um, this documentation and then the patient could take that documentation and go straight away to, to the dispensary. So there was no waiting and there was no going through the state. Uh, oftentimes, um, in many cases, the state uh, you know, may ask for additional documentation and whatnot. So that's, there, there's time there that's, um, uh, that it requires. So, 
so that was great. I got to see the full breadth of conditions that could benefit um, uh, with the use of cannabinoids. And some of the more common conditions that I saw um, uh, which benefited from cannabinoids included chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Um, and if you think about it, the, the prescription medications for these conditions are some of the most commonly prescribed um, uh, in, the, in the United States and I imagine throughout the world as well. Yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the rest of the world, but definitely in New York. <laughs> yeah. That's very, very common. Um, and they kind of all go together, these conditions. They're kind of psychosomatic, you know, the pain, um, our own endogenous pain signals that we have, and we have our natural opioids ourselves, and then we have our natural cannabinoids that also come into play. And then we have insomnia or anxiety or other kinds of nervous systems, um, you know, maybe some depression also. All of these are kind of subclinical uh, in the way, in the sense that they're patient um, specific and patient, um, the patient gets to describe the quality of their sensation. The physician can't really tell or measure that other than like pain scales mm -hmm. and um, you know just other things that are subjective so and all of them kind of come together and I feel like a lot of it is also I would say a disease of um, a societal disease in a way because people yeah. are lonely and depressed mm -hmm. and don't have like this community around them or like this livelihood so then they start to get bogged down with all these like seemingly interesting syndromes like um, chronic fatigue or chronic pain or other kinds of neuropathies and things like that. So yeah, anxieties like OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Kind of, and people who are, let's say, living alone or feel isolated tend to be the ones that sense the most amount of pain versus yeah. like somebody who may be living in a loving community. And even if they have pain, they might not even go to the doctor. <laughs> they'll be like, oh, whatever, I have so many other things to do. Like, yeah. and I have a loving family and they'll just, they'll just live with it and you won't even know that they're in pain. Yep, agreed, totally agree. It's interesting from a cultural standpoint, I remember um, when I went to go visit family in India, um, at one point, for whatever reason, everybody in the family was and this is a big family living in one house. <laughs> Everybody was doing something and I, um, you know, they had to leave me by myself. And it was such a big deal to them that like, uh, oh my God, we can't leave you by yourself. And I was like, you guys, I've been living by myself for years in America. Like this is not a big deal. So, so you know, they're very sensitive to the emotional impact of um, leaving someone by themselves, you know, um, especially in, in situations where like where a loved one passes, it's important to not leave someone by themselves in that situation. So yeah, it, it, it's really interesting how that plays out and how that, that impacts like the, the subjective sensation of pain. Because I worked at um, a civil hospital in the ER there. And one of the cases I remember, there's this woman who had a dislocated shoulder for like 10 days. And I mean, there was not even, she didn't even flinch <laughs> on examination. And it was like, what in the heck? This is insane. Like in America, like in the ER, this person would be like yelling and screaming. So it, it, it's really interesting, you know, what you mentioned. And yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to it too. It's so interesting how people's perceptions of, of certain things change based on the society and the culture yeah. that they live in. And it's so true. I think, you know, 
sometimes it's like common courtesy to like, you know, come bring a loved one and like show them around or whatnot. And that's yeah. part of it too, like being a good host. Mm -hmm. um, but then in America, because we're like so spread out and we're all like doing our own thing, like, you know, getting our career goals done, getting this, getting that, that um, in a lot of ways, like we're, we function as individuals and not as a community. And that really like translates a lot of times to our, those psychosomatic things mm -hmm. like anxiety over our future or depression about our past. And yeah. these, these things are all interrelated. And I find also that especially women past a certain age, like let's say over the age of 55 or 60, they a lot of times have insomnia and they need to take sleeping medications from the pharmacy a lot of the times. And I just find that that's a, pain, a patient population that's very prone to insomnia and these kind of issues. So I wonder if you found any correlation with that. Absolutely. Um, so uh, specifically um, at peri and postmenopausal women um, would oftentimes uh, come to my practice um, complaining of uh, insomnia, hot flashes, and anxiety. Um, and, you know, very, I would say these are very common symptoms of peri and, and, and postmenopause. Um, and so, you know, they would turn to, to cannabis for those symptoms. Um, and also, you know, a, another common use uh, in that population was um, cannabinoids in the form of lubricants, um, not just to lubricate, but also um, to uh, enhance sensitivity. Um, during intercourse. So a lot of the, that population found that helpful as well. Wow, that's so interesting. And that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what do you currently practice? You know, what do you use in your practice? How does your practice look like? How have you developed this practice? And what kind of things do you do for your patients? Okay, so let me, let me pick up where I left off um, in terms of my journey, um, because it's, been, it, it's evolved quite a bit. Um, so I worked at um, uh, a couple medical marijuana clinics in Sacramento, started off in Sacramento, like I said, and then moved over to the San Francisco Bay Area um, for about a year and a half to two years. And by that time, I had gained enough capital to start my own practice. Now, the reason why I started, decided to start my own practice is that these medical marijuana clinics were just mills, you know. There was a lot of pressure from the owners of the clinics to just spend as little time as possible with the patients and just churn out, you know, just give out cards like candy. But what was interesting when I was working in the Capitol was that I saw a lot of attorneys um, and they were experiencing a lot of anxiety because of the nature of their work. And they had a lot of like uh, inquisitive questions. You know, they would ask me things like, you know, sometimes I use the marijuana and it helps my anxiety. Other times I use it and it makes it worse to the point where I feel paranoid. You know, what's going on? Why is this happening? So that's interesting because, um, you know, based on the research, uh, what I found was that um, THC being psychoactive, when used um, it, uh, in toxic doses, uh, uh, makes anxiety worse, worsens anxiety to the point where it can cause paranoia. So I started guiding these patients on, okay, well, you want to use products that have high amounts of CBD, you know, in this ratio. And um, at that point in time, laboratory testing was not required, but it had just voluntarily become an industry standard in California. So there would be stickers on the products that told you exactly, uh, either in percentage or in milligrams, how much CBD was in the product, how much THC was in the product. So I'd, I'd give them very specific instructions on which products to select. 
and then how to, how to dose those products and um, with what frequency to use the products. And, and they really like, they got a lot out of this. And so I figured, okay, well, what if I start a practice where I'm actually, unlike all the other, you know, uh, mills, medical marijuana card mills out there, I actually just took the time to, um, to inform and educate my patients. Um, I charged a whole heck of a lot more for it, but patients appreciated it um, because it actually solved their problem instead of them having to guess every time. And then rather than getting information from some, I don't know, 20 year old, um, <laughs> you know, speaking based on their own personal uh, experience <laughs> rather than any medical knowledge. Um, so that's what I did. I started my own practice in 2014, did that uh, brick and mortar until 2018. And by that time, what was happening was that um, I had started a YouTube channel um, because uh, it was a one woman show. Uh, initially, the first year, I was playing doctor receptionist. Um, <laughs> and then I hired a receptionist, and she was getting a lot of medical questions, but she wasn't, you know, she didn't have a background to answer. And a lot of them were the same questions over and over again. And they were almost like pre-screening questions. You know, people would ask me questions like, well, does marijuana work for this? And does it work for that? And, um, you know, in the interest of not wasting my time and not wasting their time, I just created videos to, to let them know that, um, uh, you know, for, for instance, with arthritis, uh, this is what the research says and these are the results that I've seen in my patients so that they can get a better idea. And then based off of that, you know, they can figure out, okay, do I want to go see her? Or do I not want to go see her? Um, and then that took off and I was getting, um, uh, uh, questions from, from people throughout the United States and all over the world. So that's when I transitioned to an online practice. And by that time, and these were consults now I was doing for educational informational purposes only. Um, and that was, that was made clear. So I had transitioned from essentially, um, a physician to a consultant. And then um, uh, Penguin Random House approached me to write a book, so did that. And then by the time the farm bill had passed in 2018, so by this time I had created my own line of um, just one skew of a CBD tincture, a sublingual form of CBD. And I worked with a farmer in Colorado. And um, at this point I had realized that you know, in order for me to make the impact that I wanted to make, I needed to take my knowledge and experience and, and teach other clinicians and, uh, you know, medical professionals. Um, and also I needed capital for more inventory as well. So, so I knew this, you know, from a business standpoint, but at the same time, I had investors approaching me as well. So it was a matter of partnering up with the right investors who saw my vision. And so now I'm the CEO of Doc Patel's, my, my own CBD products company. And what's great is that my investors are totally and completely on board. We have, um, I have a psychiatrist who's an investor. I have a dentist who's an investor. So medical professionals, right? Who get it? Um, and so that's what I've been working on since the beginning of this year, um, January, 2020. Um, and so we have now an entire line of products that, that are available in, in multiple different formulations from sublinguals to topicals to ingestibles. Um, and, uh, and I'm working on um, training medical professionals with my knowledge and experience as well. 
So that's where I am today. I still do do consults um, as well, um, but eventually, uh, the, the way I'm envisioning it, I'm going to have to phase that out um, so that I can focus more on training uh, other medical professionals. Wow, that's so great. And what an amazing feat in such a short period of time. Yeah, although it feels long. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a lot of years, but yeah, I guess. But it, what, it's been like maybe eight years, but still, that's an impressive amount of progress to research and learn so much about, you know, this one plant that has so many medicines inside of it, and then market it and teach people and connect with patients and create your own line of products. So that's pretty, pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Write a book. And what was your book called? It's called the CBD oil solution. Awesome. Okay. So we'll have yeah. that in the show notes for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit, so you mentioned the line of products. So is it only CBD or do you have some products with THC in there too? So our line has non-detectable levels of THC, 0.00% THC. Um, the reason being, um, a lot of uh, folks uh, from both consumers to medical professionals get concerned about THC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's, it's from a clinical standpoint, when it comes to dosing, it's a little bit more difficult to finagle. Um, you have to be a lot more careful with it in terms of dosing because you can go from therapeutic to toxic pretty quickly. There, there's less of a buffer. Um, so at this point, we, we've kept it at 0.00% um, THC. And, clinic, and also, while treating patients over all these years, here's what I found, um, even with marijuana-based products, about 80% of conditions, um, most patients benefited from high CBD products. So chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia, they benefited from high CBD products. And more specifically, um, conditions like migraines and headaches, um, muscle pain, mild to moderate nerve pain, anxiety, and insomnia benefited from high amounts of CBD, whether it's hemp-based or marijuana-based. And um, when it comes to THC, uh, some of the conditions that are that are benefited by, by that, um, whether it's uh, just high amounts of THC on its own or uh, whether it's CBD and THC. So that includes things like uh, severe nerve pain, nausea and vomiting, um, uh, uh, poor appetite, um, uh, autoimmune conditions, right? Like Crohn's disease, psoriasis, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, those, those you do need some amount of THC to, to benefit the symptoms of those conditions. Um, and so because of, um, because of that fact, and also because of, uh, uh, legal access. Hemp-based products are much more easily available from a legal standpoint than marijuana-based products. Um, at this point in time, you know, uh, we've opted to stick to 0.00% THC products. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So uh, from, you know, your story and your journey, I know that you said it was kind of like sheer luck that you stumbled upon this ad and then that started a whole trajectory but is there any other reason that you decided to really hone in and focus on cannabis um, in terms of pain or all the other things that you've seen it help with? Um, or do you, do you usually tend to turn to cannabis as the cure-all or do you pair it with other herbs or other types of treatments? Like how does your whole philosophy work about it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's by no means a cure-all. Absolutely not. Um, and I am just a specialist to, on cannabinoids. Um, I'm by no means a specialist when it comes to other uh, natural alternatives. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what my main goal is, is that for the conditions for which it's effective, especially when, when it's far more effective than prescription medications, that that aren't as effective. My goal is, is to get them on the cannabinoids um, so that they are, you know, they have a medication that, that, that number one is effective for them, right? They're not, it, it, it's not a situation where they, they, they've, you know, for instance, with pain, they, they've tried the opioids, they've tried the antidepressants, then they've tried the anti-seizure medications and none of it's working. Mm -hmm. um, so one, that's effective. Two, um, they're experiencing um, little to no side effects, right, compared to prescription medications. And three, there isn't that uh, looming threat of uh, becoming addicted to the medication or overdosing on the medication. So it's, it's, it's really a way to offer a safer alternative for, which, for the conditions for which it's, it's effective. Um, there are conditions for which it's not effective, and I usually, you know, straight up tell patients it's it's not going to help this condition. Okay, like for instance, I've had patients ask me, you know, is it going to help my high blood pressure or my cholesterol? Um, and in which case, you know, it's a pretty straightforward answer. No, it's not going to help, and uh, I would say don't bother. You're going to waste your money and your time. Um, and, and I know this also just from having treated patients over over years and years, you know, following up with them, they'll, they'll come in where, you know, they have chronic pain, but they also happen to have either high blood pressure or, or cholesterol. And we notice over time, um, it doesn't really have much of an impact on their, on their blood pressure. It doesn't make it worse, but doesn't make it better either. And they continue, they have to continue to take their, you know, antihypertensives or their um, uh, cholesterol medications. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my philosophy that, you know, um, uh, like I mentioned that, that with Western medicine, we don't have a good uh, option when it comes to, to chronic pain, even when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to insomnia. And, and, and this is a much better alternative to that, to that and more effective alternative as well. Um, so that's, that's essentially my philosophy. So you're essentially offering them like more natural solutions and alternatives that will be less toxic and safer in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Safe. Safe yeah. is the word um, at the end of the day. Um, it's, it's effective and it's safe for, for folks to use. Um, and what's great about cannabinoids is that they're fat soluble. So um, essentially it's a peer run medication in which, um, you know, people can, can come off of it whenever they need, even abruptly, without experiencing withdrawal symptoms, because you have stores of it and you, you just naturally wean off of it. Um, so I like that as well, right? Being like, for instance, with SSRIs, once a patient is on it, you know, they have to continue to be on it. And then if they ever want to get off of it, they have to then like be weaned off of it, you know, and that can be a process in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's also more flexible medication as well. So it, it has a lot of benefits. Uh, not for every condition, but for, for, for conditions like chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia, um, very effective uh, and, and safe. And, um, you know, a, 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 just a, a much better option than prescription medications at the end of the day. And, and again, it, the goal is to impact lives, right? So if I can manage to get patients off of opioids and save lives in the process, then, then yeah, so be That's it. That's a win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 
over the years in your practice, have you noticed that people generally tend to stay on it for long term or do some people, are some people able to taper off, like you said, and, you know, kind of use it for a period of time, then not have to use it anymore? Yeah, so there's different uses, um, depending on the severity of the condition, right? So a lot of my chronic pain patients will uh, definitely use it on a regular basis. And it's not every day. Uh, usually I tell patients the max that you want to take the, the cannabinoids is every other day. And that's a max. I've had patients take it, you know, every two days, every three days, and that's typically sufficient for the rest of the week. Um, so that's like, uh, that's for someone who's in a severe pain on a regular basis. Um, then like say since you have a migraine patient who, um, and, and, and they know that their migraines are triggered, for instance, by their menstrual cycle, they can predict when they're going to experience that pain. So in that case, it can be used as a preventative PRN. Great. Um, uh, and then let's just take anxiety, for instance, right? So for a lot of people, anxiety is situational. Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of people are experiencing anxiety. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, uh, and I actually use it similarly um, uh, in my own situation where, you know, whenever I have situational anxiety, I'll use it on an as-needed basis. But then once that, that trigger or their, that stressor is no longer in my life and I'm no longer experiencing anxiety, I stop using it. So it's, it's very flexible in, in that sense, too. Um, you, it can be used um, to, to help with chronic conditions. It can be used as a preventative. And it can be used, um, it, you know, I'd like to say uh, PRN, you know, um, in, in situational contexts as well. Yeah. Cool. So where do you see the industry going overall? Like, where do you see the trend going? Because now we have cannabis, you know, it's a hot topic, especially the, you know, CBD products that are now legal. And as long as they have like that certain amount of THC, everybody can pretty much use it safely and effectively. Um, do you see that trend increasing? And do you see THC also coming into the picture or maybe some other of the cannabinoids? Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, okay, so let's talk about marijuana. And by the way, I just want to make a distinction between, I've been mentioning these terms, hemp and marijuana. Let me, let me just make a basic distinction. Yeah. So they're part of the same plant family. Um, the distinction between the two is a legal distinction. Okay. And, and this was actually made fairly arbitrarily way back in the day, but basically by law, hemp-based products have less than 0.3% THC. And by default, then marijuana-based products have more than 0.3% THC. And that's it. That's the basic mm -hmm. difference between the two. Um, so let's talk about marijuana. Marijuana has now been legalized, I believe, and it's like about 11 to 12 states, right? So we're talking about over one-fifth of the states in the U.S. have legalized marijuana for recreational use. So basically anybody over the age of 21 has, has access to it. Um, CBD products um, are you know, being sold by your average Joe Schmo, you know, uh, everywhere. So, so what, what's going on is that um, I feel like um, uh, what's unfortunate is that the way the industry got its start is, um, uh, you know, your average Joe Schmo wanting to sell products and they want to make a lot of money, um, making all sorts of unqualified claims. But now um, uh, we are getting more and more um, companies who um, 
are getting medical professionals involved as, as spokespersons. Um, so that's important. Um, and in an industry in its um, infancy, so there's a lot of room for influence. Uh, and so one of the ways that I want to influence it is get more medical professionals involved, right? So, so like I mentioned, one of my goals is, is that, so number one, because it's an unregulated uh, industry, I thoroughly vet our products. And I vet it for number one, potency, right? So I make sure that uh, the amount of CBD that shows up in the lab test results is within plus or minus 20% of what's on our label, right? So kind of the, the same difference between brand drugs and generic drugs, mm -hmm. uh, which is an acceptable medical standard. Um, then our, I make sure that our products have non-detectable levels of THC, so 0.00% THC. I'm testing it for pesticides, and our products are tested at state licensed labs. So usually these labs have um, a list of pesticides that are uh, required by the state that they have to test for. I'm testing for microbial contaminants, namely E. coli, Salmonella, Aspergillus, because these, these contaminants have commonly been traced back to the cannabis plant. Um, I'm testing for heavy metals, arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury, mainly because um, uh, the cannabis family of plants are known as bioaccumulators. They tend to soak up the heavy metals um, in their environment. And so a lot of, uh, you know, these heavy metals can seep into the end product that's made. And then also our products are made with um, uh, safe and non-toxic solvents like ethanol and carbon dioxide. But be aware that there are CBD products out there that are made with hydrocarbons like butane, hexane, mm -hmm. uh, propane which if left behind and in toxic levels, in, uh, toxic um, residual amounts, uh, that can be harmful um, to, to the human body. So, so that's one goal of mine is to make sure our products are thoroughly vetted. Um, it, there are products out there where, you know, believe it or not, they'll have like little to no CBD in them and you're basically just buying an overpriced bottle of olive oil or coconut oil. So that is something to watch out for. And then my other goal with the company is, is to put the products in the hands of medical professionals. And then not only just to put, put the products in their hands, but to educate and inform them so that they can then educate and inform the end consumer about these products and how to best utilize them. Um, so, so that's how I plan to to influence the industry with the work that I'm doing. But, and like I said, it's in its infancy, so there's a lot of room. Um, to, to have influence in the industry. So uh, are you also putting these products in pharmacies so that they could be sold at the point of sale or over the counter to patients? Yes, I have been speaking to pharmacists, mainly independent pharmacists, um, who are looking to bring these products into their, um, into their pharmacies. And it's great because pharmacists are consulting with, with consumers anyway. Um, and so this is a great way, um, you know, if they want, they could, they could uh, potentially even, you know, charge for the consultation. Uh, they could not up to them, um, but they're helping their consumer make an informed decision. And, you know, what's great, what comes out of this is that it's, it's mutually beneficial, right? You're benefiting the patient um, because, you know, it's helping to solve their medical problem. Uh, but at the same time, it's also if you think about it, financially beneficial too, because what's going on right now is that there's, you'll notice there's thousands of CBD brands out there, but there's no market leader, okay? And, and here's what's going on in the conversations that I have with patients. So they'll come to me and they'll say, I use this brand, um, and it'll be a product that was arbitrarily recommended to them by the company, 
um, or they arbitrarily selected the product, okay? And they'll use it, um, and it either won't have an effect or they'll get side effects, right? Like headache, for instance, or feeling groggy or tired, which are common side effects. And then they'll be like, okay, well, it's a brand. So then they'll move on to another brand and experience some similar results. But when I was consulting with patients and recommending products to them um, in my practice, what I found was that once I walked them through how, you know, I recommended a specific product and I walked them through how to use it, they continued to use it year over year over year. Um, and God forbid, you know, the product got discontinued or it was out of stock. Then I'd get like phone calls, panic, like, what do I do? So, so it's financially beneficial to a medical professional because once you, you teach the patient how to use a product, you now have a loyal customer as well. So, um, so that's essentially um, how I see it. You know, from a business standpoint, I think um, uh, it's important, number one, to, to do the work that I do with integrity, but also to create mutually beneficial um, uh, business partnerships. Um, and, you know, the, the basic foundation of it all is trust. Um, and so, you know, from one medical professional to another, that's essentially what I'm establishing. Yeah, great. So I remember you mentioning a side effect of getting more paranoid because of the THC content, but I know it's also important to choose the proper strain. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you deal with that in your own company? Yeah, sure. So with hemp-based, so let's, let's talk about both marijuana-based products and hemp-based products. With hemp-based products, um, because the effect of the THC is essentially negligible, what you really want to pay attention to is the strength of CBD product, right? And the most common formulation that you're going to find out there for CBD are sublinguals. Um, and that can come in a wide variety of strengths. So typically, they come in, um, the CBD product is made in a one-ounce bottle um, or packaged in a one-ounce bottle. And the strengths that you'll find on the market range anywhere from 250 milligrams of CBD um, all the way up to like two to even 3,000 milligrams of CBD. Um, so you want to make a recommendation based on strength of CBD, okay, when it comes to hemp-based products. Again, because the, the effect of the THC is essentially negligible. Where it went with hemp-based products where the amount of the THC is not negligible is when the patient is consuming, when the product has less, has still has, it, it doesn't have non-detectable levels of THC. It does have some amount of THC in it, uh, albeit less than 0.3%, but there's an absolute value of THC in the product, right? And so if the patient is consuming, like for instance, I don't know, a, a half to three quarters of the bottle, then they will get a psychoactive effect. Mm -hmm. even though it's less than 0.3%. So that's something people forget um, or just, they just don't know. Um, now, when it comes to marijuana-based products, the recommendations that you make are based on ratios of, of CBD and THC. So you'll find a wide variety of ratios. You'll find marijuana-based products that are high in CBD. You'll find marijuana-based products that are high in THC. And you'll find marijuana-based products that have uh, equal amounts of CBD and THC. And then, and then a whole range of ratios of CBD and THC in between, okay? Um, so for the conditions that I mentioned, it, uh, high CBD is what matters, okay? So it doesn't matter if it's a marijuana-based product or a hemp-based product, as long as it has high enough of an amount of CBD, 
that's what you need at the end of the day. And you want the amount of THC to be essentially negligible for these conditions. Um, same with the conditions where um, it's a THC that benefits. So for instance, with nausea, vomiting, poor appetite, you want really, really high amounts of THC. Um, so, you know, that's what you want to look for there. And then like, for instance, with autoimmune conditions, what, I, what my patients found effective was uh, approximately equal amounts of CBD and THC. Okay. So um, a lot of this was um, for me, something I learned over the course of time in treating patients and then also just keeping up with the, with the research as well and paying close attention to uh, the methods section of our research studies, which nobody pays attention to, to, to look at exactly what uh, formulations they used and in, in what amounts they, they use the formulations as well. Um, so that's, that's a general overview of what to pay attention to when it comes to strengths of products, whether it's hemp-based or marijuana-based. So what about strains in terms of like indica or any other like type yeah. of plant that's used? Do you need to pay attention to that? No, um, it's not objective. A lot of it is just honestly at the end of the day, marketing more than anything else. I mean, you have like ridiculous names like strain names like Girl Scout Cookie right. and Purple Urkel and, uh, uh, you know, something train wreck. And so those names um, are, are more marketing than anything else. Because if you think about it this way, I mean, first of all, it's not an objective measure, right? The amounts, the ratios that you're looking at, that is an objective measure. Um, uh, and, you know, they're using basically um, uh, liquid, uh, 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 liquid chromatography, chromatography essentially to figure out the amounts of, of the various different cannabinoids in the product. Um, but um, at, at one point, the, 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 the names, the general names, Indica and Sativa did carry significance, but uh, we started to breed plants and so you no longer have these um, uh, two general strains that are very, very different. You have a lot of like, uh, uh, because of the breeding. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I think the names aren't as important as the percentages. Plus the other thing, point that I wanted to make is that say you go to one dispensary and pick up like purple Urkel one time, and then you go again and pick up purple Urkel, you're going to get a different effect. Um, because oftentimes what happens is that a lot of these girls, and I've, I've talked to some of them, they'll just like name the strain arbitrarily. Like, oh yeah, this smells like a purple Urkel to me, or it looks like a purple Urkel. And it's like, what is purple Urkel? Like what sort of like criteria do you have to call it purple Urkel? And, and they don't, you know? So, um, so I wouldn't go by the names at all. Yeah. And then harvesting can, you know, conditions and factors may yeah. influence you know, from one batch to the next, like the potency of each plant. So that's why you're testing each batch. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's say um, somebody does need some THC in addition to CBD for their condition. How do you get them tolerant without experiencing any negative, you know, side effects from the THC or any kind of psychosis or paranoia? Yeah. So essentially it's a titration process, right? So once you figure out the right um, determine the right ratio that's going to be appropriate for them, then it's a matter of um, figuring out uh, what, you know, at what amount to start them at. Um, on average, I don't tend to start patients um, uh, at more than one milligram. 
of THC, and this is based on uh, research on synthetics, so isomers and analogs of THC, where they found that um, with synthetics, once they got to like 10 to 15 milligrams of THC, that's when the psychoactive effect started to kick in. And so you'll notice I'm taking a very conservative approach because um, you can probably uh, push that up even higher with plant-based uh, THC and, you know, the other uh, cannabinoids that are along with it because, uh, like I mentioned, CBD tends to dampen the, um, the, the side effects of THC. But yeah, I take a very conservative approach and then essentially it's a titration process. Um, so uh, that's, that's a, the basic fundamental approach that I take. Yeah, that makes sense. They have yeah. synergy and protective effects when it's the whole plant yep. it and isolates for sure. Um, so what are your favorite dosage forms to start people on? Okay, so a lot of that's going to depend on the condition, right? Um, so for sleep, um, especially, especially for patients who have difficulty uh, staying asleep, edibles are the best because the duration of action is the longest. Uh, we're looking at anywhere from six to, to 12 hours. And that duration, you know, it's not like the person's going to feel um, uh, as drowsy for, for up to 12 hours. You can adjust that with the dosing. As long as they're taking the right dose, it's usually about six to eight hours, I would say, in terms of duration of action. Um, for anybody who um, experiences like um, migraines and um, or like breakthrough pain and they need immediate relief, um, I would say inhalation is the best form. Not smoking, but vaporizing. Um, and vaporizing vape oils. And of course, you know, I always advise them to make sure that the vape oil um, isn't made with any contaminants like vitamin E acetate or like mineral oil, because um, we've seen the effect that that can have on the lungs. Um, uh, you know, I advise them to, to purchase vape oils that are made from carbon dioxide. Um, and then let's see, um, sublinguals I found work great for patients who've had uh, a gastric bypass surgeries, for instance, because they have a more difficult time absorbing edibles. Um, so it really depends on uh, the medical history and also just logistics, right? So for the patients with autism that I've treated, um, with those patients, you know, sublingual formulations, just, it, it's difficult to get a child to hold um, a, a, a a, a tincture under the tongue for like 60 to 90 seconds. So for them, you know, like edibles. Um, so, so it varies uh, quite a bit based on just medical history overall. And so do you have edibles as part of your line? We do. We just got some gummies um, and uh, they're 25 milligrams each, but um, they can, uh, I always tell people that um, you don't have to take the whole gummy. You can always cut it up into smaller pieces and don't pop the gummy like this regular you know, candy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and all your extensive knowledge about this amazing plant. Um, do you have just a few more minutes for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, what's the number one thing people can do right now to improve their quality of life? Work on your mindset. Uh, that is one thing I work on every morning, um, and uh, it can make the biggest impact in your life. Because the one thing you always carry with you are your thoughts, and knowing that you can choose your thoughts changes your life. I love that. Yeah. Um, also, what is your 
in in your mind, what is the ideal healthcare system look like? Oh God. <laughs> Just quick. <laughs> okay. All right. Ideally, if I could, I'd provide free medical care. That that's always been my hope and desire, um, especially when I went to Africa and when I went to India. Um, it, it's a service, you know, we're really doing a service. And I remember when I was like intubating patients, um, in, in the emergency room, it's almost like you were this outer body experience where it was like, God was working through me. It's difficult to explain, but you know, here's this person, uh, hanging on to their life and you are in this, in this position of being able to help them breathe by putting this tube into their, their throat. And uh, just the experience of that. So I, I would, yeah, it's a work of God. You know, you're working through the hands of God. And so um, I would do it. If I could, I would do it for free. I love that so much. It's yeah. like all your training all of a sudden kicks in when you need it and you just do fight or play and yeah. you just do your work and then you feel like this is what needed to be done. Yeah. Um, okay. So next question won't be as drastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite hobby or pastime? going for walks, um, either that or yoga. Um, but the walks just, um, they're like a life source for me. I love that too. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite beverage to drink? Uh, right now I, I always like to flavor my water and I'm always trying different things, but right now I'm on an emergency powder kick. Uh -huh. So, so that's what I'm on right now. In your immunity. That's always good. Yeah. Especially now. And the vitamins too. I feel like the vitamins are making me feel yeah, good. Yeah, like a multivitamin yeah. plus extra yeah. vitamin C. The only thing I don't like about it is I usually consume about like four packets and that's about 20 grams of sugar. So I'm trying <laughs> to a, a version that doesn't have as much sugar in it. So if any of your audience members know, they should. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll later. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you some herbal alternatives. Oh, great, great, great. <laughs> All right. And lastly, how can our listeners get to know you more or get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, you, get, you can visit our website at docpatels.com. Um, D-O-C, you probably know how to spell Patel because there are so many Dr. Patels, but it's P-A-T-E-L and then uh, there's an S at the end. So docpatels.com. I have a lot of medical information. I have um, uh, a writer who posts business information as well um, on how to incorporate CBD products into your practice. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me personally, you can just email me at Dr. D-R-Rachna, R-A-C-H-N-A, Patel, P-A-T-E-L, at docpatels.com. Awesome. So I'll have all of that in our show notes, especially the part about your book. And, you know, we'll just keep in touch. Perfect. Yeah, awesome. sounds great. Thank you so much again for your time. Yep, yep, yep. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Raw Fork Podcast, and I truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you learned something new from it, I would really appreciate if you can give us a five-star rating and a sincere review so that more people can find it across the podcast platforms. To get in touch with me, please go on rawfork.com or email me directly at marina at rawfork.com. Take good care and I'll see you back here next week.